Matthew 11, 1 through 24. Is this on? It's on? Okay. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. It's called the Paris Effect. The Paris Effect. It's what psychiatrists have labeled the disappointment that many people feel the first time they visit Paris. Now, I've never been to Paris, but people who go to Paris generally have very high expectations because they've watched Paris in movies and, and, and in media, and it's just been built up. They, they expect clean streets and beautiful people everywhere and Chanel wasting through the air and roses and, and romance happening on every street corner. But instead, when they get to Paris, they find pavement peppered with cigarette butts 
and they find irritable commuters, packed metro trains, and basically average-looking people going about their average everyday lives. So the Paris effect is the extreme disappointment that sets in when a visitor realizes that the city of light is nothing like the romanticized version of Paris that they thought that it was. And if you cling to unrealistic expectations, you're bound to be disappointed. And in today's passage, it's not the Paris effect that we see here, it's the Jesus effect. People are coming to Jesus with all kinds of unrealistic expectations about what the Messiah is going to be. And because they're loaded down with huge expectations, they also walk away with huge disappointments. What do you do with a God who doesn't always fit your expectations? What do you do with a God who doesn't live up to what you think God should be? That's the question that we see John the Baptist asking in today's passage. Now, when we see John here, John is languishing in prison because he dared call King Herod Antiochus an adulterer because he had taken his brother's wife, Herodias, and made her his own. And as we were talking to actually just last week, friends, if you speak truth to power, you're not going to win any friends. John has been pretty effectively canceled and soon he's going to be killed. And as John rots in prison, his disciples keep bringing him more and more good news about what Jesus is doing. All these demonstrations of his power and his authority. And so finally, John sends his disciples back to Jesus to ask a question. And that's in verses 2 and 3. When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Are you the one who is to come? Friends, what's up with that question? Are you the one who is to come? Friends, this is John the Baptist. When, when Luke's Gospel tells us that when Mary, the mother of Jesus, was pregnant with Jesus, she went to visit Elizabeth, the mother of John, pregnant with John. And Luke 144 says, this is Elizabeth. Behold, the sound of your greeting came to my ears. The baby in my womb leapt for joy. Are you the one to come? You seem to know it prenatally. And then John the Baptist is there baptizing in the Jordan. And one day he sees Jesus coming towards him. And John chapter 1 verse 29 records, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, John seemed to know exactly who Jesus was there. And then John was there at Jesus' baptism because he was baptizing Jesus. And this is what he witnessed, John chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John seemed to know who Jesus was there. And right after that, John the Baptist concluded in John chapter 1, verse 34, I have seen and I've borne witness that this is the Son of God. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect another? What's up with that question? One word, 
Expectation. Expectation. It's the Paris effect, or here, the Jesus effect. John had huge expectations of what the Messiah would be and what the Messiah was going to do when the Messiah came. And while Jesus is clearly doing some great things, he's not quite meeting John's expectations. And friends, John's expectations are a lot like your expectations and my expectations. They're twofold. The expectations that he has of Jesus, that he has of the Messiah, are theological, but also deeply personal. They're theological and they're personal. Theologically, Jesus was performing great works of healing, mastery of nature, teaching with wisdom, everything that you expect the Messiah to do. Well, not everything. Because remember, John came and we heard his message when we were earlier in Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, it says, John spoke, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands. He'll clear the threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. What's his message? Judgment is coming. The Messiah is on His way, and when the Messiah comes, He's going to bring justice, death to God's enemies, God's people, Israel, liberated. So John's question is partially theological. You seem to be the Messiah. You're doing a lot of the things that the Messiah is doing, but aren't you going, isn't the Messiah going to bring justice and deliverance and judgment on God's enemies? And if that's true, why am I languishing unjustly in a prison of God's enemy, the immoral King Herod. If you're the Messiah, then why does it seem that God's enemies are still winning? You know, friends, some today still reject Jesus on theological reasons. You see, they have an idea of what God is and what God is not. People carry with them ideas of what God would do and what God would not do. And they're not willing to accept the idea of a God who, who won't do what they want Him to do or be what they want Him to be. I mean, maybe you've heard people say, or maybe you yourself have said it, well, my God would not. Or my God is. My God is not. I could never believe in a God who, or I could never follow a God who. Friends, you understand what those statements are? I mean, In your head is a God of your own creation. And then you're measuring the true God against the God that you've created. We no longer today fashion idols of wood or stone or metal, but we do still fashion idols of words, ideas, and principles, don't we? And then we carry those idols with us in our heads as expectations. And then we encounter the true God... And he doesn't measure up to those false gods, that constructed idol of our own imagination. I mean, you might have heard it said, if your God never disagrees with you, it's safe to assume you've created a God in your own image. But we carry that God with us, that idol, that image. But friends, if you've come here this morning or if you're watching us online, you're invited to put aside your theological expectations as we sang to cast down your idol. And to meet the true God in Jesus Christ. 
And I promise you, the true God is not going to measure up to your expectations. The true God will surprise you. The true God will offend you. The true God is unlike us. The true God never perfectly aligns with us and with the images of Him that we have created in our heads. So the question is, can we let go of our theological fictions to take hold of the reality of Jesus Christ? So part of John's struggle is theological. But it's also, friends, deeply, deeply personal. You see, the the scope of John's questions is not just theological issues, but personal issues. When he asks, are you the one to come or should we look for another? You can hear almost a note of disappointment. He's disappointed with Jesus. There's an unfulfilled expectation. And friends, I think the question underneath the question is, where's my miracle? Where's my miracle? If you're the Messiah and I am truly your predicted front runner, as you're telling everyone, then why am I languishing in jail? Why haven't you delivered me? I mean, seriously, Jesus, is this how it's going to end for me? After everything I've done for you, if you're the Messiah, where's my story? Why doesn't it end in deliverance and victory? You have the authority and the power to perform all these miracles for other people, even for that Roman centurion? but you don't have any power and authority to perform a measly little miracle for me and get me out of jail? Where is my miracle? John is asking the same question that we ask when things don't go according to our expectations. Where's God? Friends, if God is so powerful and full of authority, why doesn't He act? Where is my miracle? John's question is really both a sweeping theological treatise and also the cry of a frightened and abandoned child. God, where are you? God, where are you? And why did you let me hurt? Where's my miracle? And some of you have probably cried out in the middle of the night asking that same question. Where is my miracle? You've read these accounts of all these miracles that Jesus performed. You've heard of Jesus' power and authority. You've been faithful to God. You've served Him. You've sacrificed. And yet you're still struggling. You're still suffering. Some still imprisoned by sickness, addiction, depression, sorrow, poverty, by shame. Or your miracle just never came through. Where are you, Jesus? Are you the one who is to come? Or should I start looking for another? And friends, there are many. There are many today who, when they don't get their miracle, who are disappointed with Jesus, they go off looking for another. Looking for another. So how does, John, how does Jesus respond to John and to us in the midst of our disappointment, in the midst of our unmet expectations? Well, he responds in verses 4 through 6. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So now Jesus, as often, doesn't answer directly. But he affirms to John, he goes, yeah, I have the power. I have the authority. 
These are all the actions that validate I am the Messiah. I am who I claim to be. I'm God's anointed. I am mighty to save and I am strong to deliver. But then he closes with that line. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. The Greek word is skandalizo. And it's where we get our English word scandalized. Blessed is the one who is not scandalized by me. Blessed is the one who continues to have faith in me, even when scandalously I don't meet their personal expectations. Even when I don't act in the way that they thought I should or in the timing that they expect. Even when I don't answer their cries as they think I should have. Blessed is the one who believes and trusts in my power, even when that power does not work on their behalf. Blessed are those who do not receive their miracles and yet do not leave and go look for another. Friends, Jesus never promised John that he wouldn't end up in prison. He never promised John that he wouldn't eventually die there. Friends, Jesus never promised you that you wouldn't get cancer or suffer a stroke. Jesus never promised any of us a long and a healthy and a happy life. Jesus never promised that just because He is who He says He is, that your marriage would be perfect, that all relationships peaceful, that every venture successful, that your bank account's full, your body's healthy, and your life's comfortable. Jesus never promised that. So Jesus says to John and to us, Yes, I have the power and I have the authority to act. Yes, I am the Messiah who is promised to come. You don't need to look for another. And blessed are you if you can trust in me even when I don't fulfill your expectations. Even if I don't fulfill your expectations of what a Savior, of what a God should be or do. Christian music artist Mercy Me boldly declares in their song titled, Even If, I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand, but even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. I know the sorrow and I know the hurt would all go away if you would just say the word, but even if you don't, my hope is you alone. Church, can you say that? Can you say that? Can you say, I trust you even when you don't come through? Will you say, but even if you don't, even if I don't get my miracle, my hope is you alone. Blessed are those who are not scandalized by me. The question is, can you let go? Friends, can you let go of your expectations and learn to live in expectancy? Can you let go of your expectations and learn to live in expectancy? I was reading one pastor's differentiation between expectations and expectancy. Expectations, that they make demands, dictates, conditions, and it, it won't go for anything except exactly what it expects and wants. I have expectations. But expectancy, expectancy opens us up to the belief that something good is coming. And I don't know exactly what it is or what it will look like, but when it comes, I want to be ready for it. When it comes, I want to live in expectancy that something good is coming and I'm ready for whatever that is. It may not be exactly what I expected, but it will be good. 
And I want to be ready for it. Jesus invites us, let go of your expectations, your demands, your dictates, and simply open your hand to expectantly receive. Blessed is the one who does not get what she expects, but who gains Christ. Friends, what expectations are you clinging to? What demands are you making? What terms are you dictating that you need Him to help you let go of? so that you might open your hands in expectancy and receive the blessing of Christ. John's messengers leave, having been answered, and Jesus turns to the crowd, and now it's His turn. He's going to challenge the expectations of the crowd. Jesus tells the crowd, John, John the Baptist, he is the greatest man of his era, even though that era is closing, because I'm here to inaugurate a new age, the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there's arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. As we talked about when we studied Matthew chapter 3 and we met John, John is a bridge. He's a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's the final prophet, the final and the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, but he's preparing the way for Jesus who's going to come and to bring the new covenant, the New Testament, the kingdom of heaven. So John is the bridge and Jesus says he's the greatest, but the one who's in the kingdom of heaven, the least, is even greater. Jesus makes the point that while he and John both came and they ministered differently, neither one of them managed to live up to the expectations of the people of their day. He makes the point and he says, you know what? Both of us were rejected. Both of us were rejected by those with expectations. Those who were closed to anything except that which they thought, desired, or understood. However, we both have been received. Both John and myself have been received by those whose hearts were not full of expectation, but whose hearts were expectant, hopeful, and open, ready to receive what God was going to do. Because friends, then and now, Then and now, people say that they want to hear from God. Back then and today, you hear people say, I want to hear from God. But the truth is, what they really want to hear from God is only what they find acceptable. They want to hear from God as long as He speaks in ways of which they approve. As long as He acts in ways of which they approve. As long as He commands only things that they want to do. But friends, God speaks, acts, and commands in ways we don't expect or want, and people are quick to find a reason to reject it. Jesus points this out in verses 16 and 17. He says, but to what shall I compare this generation? Well, it's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you. You did not dance. We sang a dirge. You did not mourn. Jesus says, you guys are never happy. I mean, we play you a little ditty and you're like, that's frivolous and irreverent and you won't dance. So then we come and we play you a funeral dirge and you call us gloomy and extreme and you don't mourn. Jesus says, John came with a dire warning of repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. He talks about in verses 7 through 10, he says, there was nothing soft about that John fellow was there. He was steadfast. He was unbending. He was clearly a prophet. He was a messenger. Verse 10 says he was before your face. Literally, John was called to get up in your face. There was nothing soft about that guy. His message was fasting and mourning and repentance. And you all were like, sorry, that's too harsh. 
don't like Him. And Jesus says, so I came with a joyous message. Rejoice! The kingdom of heaven is here. I came eating and drinking. And you all said in verse 19, I'm a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. There's no pleasing you people. There's no meeting your expectations because, friends, no matter what God did, the people were disappointed. Whether it was serious or celebratory, formal or informal, strict or gracious, they found fault because they didn't want to believe. And, friends, it's the exact same with us. No matter what God does, we'll find fault because our hearts don't want to believe. We don't want to worship the true God. We want to worship ourselves and the gods of our imagination, the idols that we've created. Jesus says to them, your disappointment, friends, is not about me. It's about you. I'm not the problem. You're the problem. Your disappointment is because you have hearts full of expectation, but not hearts open with expectancy. And as such, the crowds then and many in the crowds today still reject Jesus. Their expectations of what God should say, how God should act, what God should command, close them off to receiving the actual kingdom of God. Because the kingdom is not found by those who have high expectations. The kingdom is found by those who have a holy expectancy. The kingdom is not received by those who are dictating and demanding, but by those who are open and waiting. And friends, how about you? Is your heart ready to receive? In in verses 20 through 24, Jesus warns that some are going to remain just disappointed with me because some have chosen and will choose to hold on to their expectations and reject me. Verse 20, Jesus says, It says, then Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. These were the cities in Israel where the majority of Jesus' miracles were performed. And Jesus says, despite that, you're still disappointed. I still didn't live up to your expectations. And Jesus says, you know what? Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were Gentile cities in Phoenicia, and the Old Testament prophets regularly were condemning those two cities because of their pride, their materialism, and their worship of the false god Baal. And then Jesus even mentioned Sodom, which was the archetype of sinful rejection of God. And Jesus goes, you know what? Tyre, Sidon, and yes, even Sodom, they would have repented. If they saw the miracles that were done in you, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, Jesus says, the problem is not me. The problem is not my miracles. The problem is you. And hearts full of self-created gods and self-created expectations. You're clinging to your expectations, to your ideas, to the idols that you've created in your head. And so no matter what I do, I don't measure up. Friends, people who say to you, I would believe in God if he did this. They're lying. They're lying to themselves. Because I promise you, it will never be enough. No matter the miracle... No matter the word, no matter the action, hearts that are filled with expectations and demands will never be satisfied. It will never be enough. 
You either accept Jesus for who He is and for what He offers, or I promise you will never accept Him at all. And friends, to reject Jesus, to reject Jesus is to reject salvation. If you do reject Him, Jesus says all that's left for you is a judgment worse than the judgment that fell on Sodom. Friends, will you cling to your expectations, to your ideas, to your idols, to your demands, to your disappointments, or will you open your hearts expectantly to the real Jesus? Friends, are you here today disappointed with Jesus because He has not met your expectations? Are you looking for another because Jesus' power didn't act on your behalf and you didn't receive the miracle that you believe you deserve? Are you disappointed with Jesus because He's just not as you expected? He doesn't teach what you want Him to teach. He commands these things that you don't want Him to command. He asks you to do things that you don't want Him to ask. He's too strict. He's not strict enough. He's too judgmental. He's not judgmental enough. He's too legalistic. He's too gracious. Friends, we'll find excuses to reject Him. But blessed is the one who is not disappointed, who is not scandalized by the real Jesus. Friends, just like those many tourists who visit Paris, just like they they have trouble enjoying Paris because of their unrealistic expectations that they brought with them, if they just let go of those expectations, and if they just approached Paris with expectancy, just to receive Paris, As it is, who knows what delights that city might bestow upon them. And friends, in the same way, blessed is the one who lets go of her expectations that she might receive Christ with a holy expectancy. Friends, what comes in the way? What hinders you from embracing the real Jesus today? Let's pray. Father, we confess we come with hearts full of expectations. We come with desires, ideas, demands, disappointment. And Father, we're clinging to those things and honestly, using those as an excuse not to take hold of you. Help us let go. Help us let go of our expectations, of our disappointments, of our demands, and help us expectantly open up to you and take hold of the real and the risen Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. In closing, please stand with